following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts... From Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad. And introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. It is Minute 54 of Flash Gordon Minute. Eric, how you doing? Uh, I, I guess I'm okay, but I, I, I did just have to watch this minute again before we came on, because I just wanted to be sure... This is still our movie and not Flesh Gordon. <laughs> it, it is good. Uh, the, folks, that will not be the sequel to uh, this podcast. Nobody has actually gone that far. There has been no adult movie minute by minute, right? <laughs> uh, not to my not, uh, not listed on the moviesbyminute.com website, unless there's an adult moviesbyminute.com website out there we don't know about. Gosh, it's going to happen one day, and that will be. And I, and I, you know what? I just don't need to guest on that. I've guessed <laughs> on a lot of fantastic minute by minutes. I just did a Galaxy Quest minute last night. Oh, I was on that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, oh, and we, we have a surprise voice here. All right. Uh, yes. Eric, who is joining us today? Yes, that third voice is Jack Stovald. He is from Reopening the Wormhole, a podcast that talks about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Welcome, Jack. Thank you. Glad to be here. Welcome to Arborea. <laughs> yes. You are, before we dive in, I just got to say, you are our new record holder for the uh, furthest away guest. And uh, we've had people all over the world, but w- where are you uh, broadcasting from? Um, I am actually coming at you from Japan. So all the way from Japan to Arborea. Yeah, I live here. I've been here for a while. It makes uh, podcasting with people on different continents all the time interesting. I would imagine so. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to talking more about that and also talking uh, more about uh, your podcast. Uh, I always enjoyed Deep Space Nine. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting show. It wasn't the one that got the greatest amount of love of the Star Trek shows. Kind of the black sheep of the family. Yeah. But uh, some really, it, it was a unique, just the fact that it was a show that wasn't about exploring it was everyone coming to them, and it was a very different concept. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to talking about that. But, but, but let's uh, let's get on to minute fifty-four. Eric, what happens in this minute of Flash Gordon? Well, before we even get to Arborea, I I, I want to do the fl- the literal first second of this minute because we <laughs> talked about this last week with our guest last week, and we've talked about this numerous times over the course of the show. But we have a new guest, so I want to get Jack's opinion. You get. The last split second of Clytus sniffing his handkerchief here, Jack. And we, we wonder, what are your thoughts on Clytus and his favorite uh, little hobby that he likes? To well, um, I first of all, I'd just like to say that I was super happy to just get a little brief flash of Clytus in the minutes <laughs> that I'm on. So uh, no Ming or anything, but just a real treat to get a second of Clytus. And yeah. uh, like Eric, I am also a pretty big fan of Clytus in this nice. film. Um, I love his mask, I love his voice, and uh, I love his death, which we'll get to see down the line, but um, just in general, yeah, he's one of the most interesting characters, and the just his costume and everything, I 
love the costumes in this film. Yeah, Kaleidos is great. Well, who do you, who's, uh, let, let, let's throw a Deep Space Nine connected question here. Who is the better bootlicker, Clytus or Wayun? I would say just in terms of straight bootlicking, probably Wayun. Because <laughs> uh, he's, well, he, he, he believes the founders are gods. And uh, I think Clytus, he definitely likes Ming and is a, he's a great bootlicker. But there's a, I think he has like plans of his own, it feels like. Yeah, Clytus would turn on Ming in a heartbeat. I feel like that is the case. Yeah. Uh, it's a thing where he's the sort of toady that there's not actually a whole lot of loyalty. He just gets to be... He just gets to have a lot of fun because he's on Clytus. I mean, because he, he's on Ming's side. And if things, if, if the ground were to change, he'd change with it. Yeah, I feel like he's the kind of guy who would see where the winds are blowing and... He doesn't care who it is as long as he has this position of power. So, in other words, if he if he were have to survived uh, this movie, he would have been up there saying "Hail Flash." Possibly, yeah. <laughs> oh, already going off track. This is going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the Sylvester Stallone classic Demolition Man, there was <laughs> okay the, classic. Okay. The the uh, yeah, well, you know, you have to say classic. I'll allow it. There was the um, heavyset guy who was always wearing, uh, like, basically frilly robes, who was always the, the, the yes man for whoever was in charge. And at first he was the, the, the lieutenant for the, the, the guy who was the one in charge who authorized Stallone getting out of the deep freeze. And then once that guy got killed, he was, like, all of a sudden running over to Wesley Snipes. He's like, I'd be an excellent uh, assistant for you. And then at the end of the movie, he's going over to um, Dennis Leary after Wesley Snipes did it. And he's going, he's like, yo, don't you need an assistant? And just now, obviously, he was more of a sniveling uh, Weasley wimpy guy but it was the same thing where every time the ground shifted he was going to find the, the next person in charge and offer his assistance Kaleidos I think had that sort of thing and it almost would have been fun to just watch him try to uh, later ingratiate himself with Flash um, of course then you lose his his great death and you know you don't want to take that away from him but uh, it, yeah that's this that's sort of remi- a very different way of doing the same sort of character that that number two guy who's going to without any real loyalty just the other thing that i love about him so much in the film also is that um you know he wears a mask and you never get to see his face and it's not supposed to be like a big reveal like oh what does he look like you just never find out and it's not important and that's an unusual thing in a film like this i think yeah, except his eyeballs and his tongue that's about right. it right right of course <laughs> Yeah, um, what's the what's the character from Star Wars? Uh, who the, the, the Phantasma? Phant- oh, Captain Phasma. 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 Yeah. Thank you. Oh uh, yeah, similar. Great look, great visual. All they did was give her like you could see her one eye in her like right, right before yes. she, she apparently passes away, and they didn't do the reveal of oh my god that's who she is under the mask because it didn't matter who she was under the mask. Right. Right. And same with a Once Upon a Time, a character named Boba Fett as well. But then things changed. It all comes back to the Fett. In the end, yes. So we get that. It's awesome. We have a nice little conversation about our good friend Clytus and just from a second of him huffing that uh, damn hanky again. (laughs) (laughs) Then we go to Arborea. This is why, by the way, I referenced Flesh Gordon in my intro, Brad, because 
there are more than 30 seconds of this minute that just if, if you just if you close your eyes, you listen to the noises they're making. And then maybe you open your eyes and look at the movements that these people are taking around the tree stump. The only way you can best describe this is a group activity that involves a round shape and a person who sells soda. <laughs> my, my note was just long, drawn-out sighing and pounding. <laughs> uh, was I the only one to given a reminder of the opening scene from uh, History of the World Part 1? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, the old guy, the facial expression on that old guy, that is 100% full X. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and it's, this is leading into the worst initiation ever. Oh, yeah, this is some initiation. <laughs> uh, this, yeah, this rite of passage, I have a lot of questions about this and yeah, like, why, more... why it's a thing. But we'll, yeah, that's, I think that's more I, in the next minute, maybe. Yeah, that's tomorrow's minute. Yeah, we'll tackle that tomorrow. But I, I can tell you, I love initiations. <laughs> yeah, Aura's got a dirty twinkle in her eye yeah, when yeah. she says that line. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's so funny. It's like, uh, I love initiations. It's like, really? This one? It's like... <laughs> well, also, what other initiation? I mean... Does she mean literally just she always likes watching the Arboreas initiation, or is she often traveling to different moons of manga watching various cultural initiations? Because she said she loves initiations, plural. Yeah, I have a feeling that the Hawk people have a much cooler initiation. <laughs> I, have, I imagine. First off, there's keg stands involved with it. I'm sure the Hawk people have keg stands <laughs> at their initiation. Yeah, it's got to be like really wild, like almost Klingon-esque type uh initiation i imagine yeah just a real a bacchanalia if you will she's watching and we get a look at the the creature in this tree stump and i love the design of this yeah this the critter. first shot of the scorpion too. Yeah. this this creature goopy slimy with a scorpion tail and uh there's this just feels so 80s movie to me and <laughs> I, I love it I, I absolutely love this creature and, and when it breathes, it, re it releases smoke. Yeah. The smoke, the, the sound design, and just... It's a smoke monster. It's, it's fantastic, and it doesn't even do much. Like, they're able to make all this happen with just a little bit of quivering and shaking and some great sound design. And uh, this is definitely something where I think they did a lot with a little. So I don't, yeah. think, I don't think they broke the budget on this critter. Yeah, it's some kind of, like, plastic bag that they're <laughs> pumping air into or something but it looks really cool i love it that tail and everything yeah this 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 whole thing with the stump and everything it's just so bizarre and odd and i it, the atmosphere of this, this these scenes is really what drew me to it and that was one of the reasons that i wanted something around this point yeah i um and it's something we'll have to talk a little bit. We, we haven't seen baron yet i love the look and i love the feel of everything I do wonder if this was really where I thought, is this really where Baron should be ruling? And because he's so dignified, he has the fantastic accent. Um, and I know they're going for a real uh, Robin Hood look and feel on, you know, the whole, you know, the merry men living in the forest. And so there is a little bit of that. The treeple, as I call them. Yes. But, you know, part of me thinks it's like, you know, I feel like he's... First off, such a dignified actor, and um, he doesn't look like a guy who's living in the trees, um, Baron, and Timothy Dalton specifically. is like, this doesn't look, and uh, perhaps it's just also a little bit of 
too much of an affiliation with him in my mind of him as James Bond. And then um, also, uh, Timothy Dalton was uh, famously and not necessarily belovedly, he also did the TV sequel to Gone with the Wind where he was Rhett Butler. So very dignified people. It's like, hey, you know, I, I don't I don't see him ever camping. <laughs> so I, I, don't, I, I, I definitely love the look. I just don't know if he's the right... He's the right guy, and with such great posh accents, to, to be in that environment. Oh, come on. It's got to be easy to be a tree man and have such a nicely trimmed mustache. <laughs> Very clean and quaffed. Yeah, his hair is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, you can... Uh... You you could use the, that hair. It's so perfect. You just you could use it as a unit of measurement. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the old Simpsons uh, where uh, Homer's dad's got a picture of an old Johnny Unitas? It says, "There's a haircut you could set your, set watch, your watch to." to. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, in contrast, we've got this priest, this arborian priest, who now he looks like a tree man. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I got a little info on this guy. His name is John Osborne, the actor that plays him. Uh, and two interesting tidbits about him. So he wrote a play called Look Back in Anger, which is viewed as one of the most influential plays in modern British theater. Uh, but in his personal life, he had many, many affairs over the course of his life and was married five times. And boy, doesn't he look like a kind of guy that could pull that off. Yeah, I, I also looked up this guy and I was like really surprised that this character who has like this, you know, two minute scene and flash gordon was such a strange iconoclastic figure in like british theater wow that is amazing and i'm a little bit familiar with look back in anger i don't think i've ever seen the show but and you're right he doesn't exactly look like a, a heartthrob you know not a bad looking guy by any stretch but uh but you know what chicks dig playwrights <laughs> it's an odd thing but you look at a you know, Arthur Miller, who literally married the most iconoclastic, beautiful woman in the history of the world. I mean, when you, in, regardless of if you dig Marilyn Monroe or not, but you have to admit, like, you know, she, she was, in, in a lot of ways, still is, like, the definition of sexy starlet. And uh, she, she's like, okay. She slept with baseball players and presidents. Yeah, yeah. And then she's like, I think I'll marry the guy who wrote. Nerdy. Nerdy playwright guy with the big, <laughs> thick glasses. Uh, apparently, I should have done more playwriting. Eh, I, or perhaps I did enough. I, I I actually have a stunning wife, so maybe that's the thing. That could be. Kids listening to this show, because I know we have a minute-by-minute a -minute podcast about a 1980 science fiction uh, fantasy movie, would have a big children's audience. Uh, so kids, you know, grow up and uh, playwright. It, it'll, it's a lot easier on your body than football, and uh, you'll do great. I've been operating under the assumption that uh, chick stick podcasters. That's a theory that I'm hoping is true. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Ever since we started doing uh, Flash Gordon Minute, I, if I had a nickel every time I stepped outside and there was uh, like some group of women just throwing under, under garments at me, I, I'd have like a couple nickels. Yeah, the, uh, the reopening the wormhole groupies are insane. <laughs> like, sorry, ladies. I just hold up the finger with the ring. It's like, that's... Yeah, just taken. <laughs> My wife's like, you know, it's really okay. All right, so uh, what, what else do we have from uh, minute 54, Eric? Well, then uh, I've, another actor uh, showing up in this minute, uh, the young tree man, as he is credited. Uh, we've got some really interesting stuff about this guy. His name is Peter Duncan, 
and he's been an active actor since the early 70s. He's done a lot of stage work. Now, he was the host of a, there's a show called Blue Peter, a British children's television program that first aired in 1958. It's the longest running children's TV show in the world. And at one point, he was a host of that. He also ran on the first ever London Marathon back in 1981. And uh, he was the ninth chief scout for the Scout Association in the UK, which is like their version of the Boy Scouts. And when his five-year tenure was up, he was replaced by Bear Grylls, the guy from Man vs. Wild. What the all hell? All the young tree man. Yeah, <laughs> this is all the young tree man. This is some. This is something. So again, you got someone that's got this incredible history, and he's in this dinky little role here in Flash Gordon. Yeah, it's weird. Also, I tried to find some information about the bald guy who was standing around in the background, because that guy seems really familiar to me, but I couldn't find out who he was. Do you... Did, were you able to find anything? Or? I did not. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I've seen him somewhere, but... He's a guy who looks like he should be somebody. Uh, it seems like he's going to do something, but he doesn't, actually. But Striking-looking guy uh, has, has presence. Yeah, he looks like he could be in Star Trek as an alien or something. Yeah, it's a... Uh, well, that's always a fun thing about Star Trek, is like finding out who... They were so great with guest spots as well uh, uh, i remember and i guess it was uh, no it was voyager where before he became the biggest actor on the planet there was the rock yes <laughs> he even does the people's eyebrow in that episode yes he does <laughs> yeah and it was so weird because uh when we've gone strangely this is not the first time we've talked about the rock because i, I think it's just his world anymore but it was funny we, we just live in it yeah Pretty much. It, it was so funny because it was a thing where before they had any idea that he could be an actual actor, he would just be a wrestling guy and they would just find a way to like like have him some sort of deathmatch wrestling thing because they weren't sure he could do anything else. I remember there was you know, Voyager was the same thing where he got into a, basically a wrestling match with Seven of Nine. And then there was also, he was on an episode of the 70s show where he was playing his father who was also a wrestler. And it was just like, they went to see a wrestling match with Rocky Johnson, and there he is playing his own dad, and basically just sort of saying his catch, you know, his catchphrases and stuff. It's like, oh, you know what? Gosh, in ten years, he's going to be a legitimate A-list movie star because the world's mad. <laughs> well, hey, George Clooney used to be the star of the original ER sitcom, so stuff, weird stuff happened with Elliot Gould. Yeah. And also, and also, he was in Attack of the Killer Tomatoes movie. Tur- uh, Return of the Attack of Yeah, re- uh, he was in the The Return of the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah. Really? Yeah. No, that I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, Clooney. Uh, he worked hard and went through so many crappy TV shows and stuff before he was able to finally land ER. He was in a TV remake of uh, Look Who's Talking called Baby Talk. Um, oh. That sounds like a thing that needs to exist. Yeah, he, he, he was a handyman on a couple episodes of uh, Facts of Life, um, and he was like the foreman on uh, the first season of Roseanne. So just, just right. plugging away. It's like, oh, good for you, George Clooney. Yeah, I mean, that, that dude put in his time, for sure. All right, anything else from Minute 54? Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, go ahead, Jack. I was just going to say, I just um, I really love this forest set too there's something about it like you know it looks kind of fake and cheesy but in a really a good way that i love it's because it's i mean it's fake looking but it's still real it's on camera as opposed to like you know a boring cg thing that looks fake in a different way but it's a not interesting way and there's something it almost feels like 
they're in a diorama or something. Yeah, and I actually I have a quote from the director Mike Hodges about that set. Mike Hodges clearly just loves talking about the, the insanity that Danilo Donati subjected him to. Uh, there's the quote. Uh, Danilo seemed to design sets mainly for his own personal enjoyment. He constructed trees so enormous we couldn't get the camera in. <laughs> <laughs> It's a pretty big set, too, because they yeah. have this really cool tracking shot during this minute where we're hearing all the pounding and grunting. And it just slowly pans over from, like, Flash and Aura down this long walkway all the way over to the tree stump area. And it's a really neat shot. It's like, this is a... It's big. It's really cool. And I think there's something that is just so uh, likable about the set. Because, first off, every kid wanted to have, like, a big treehouse like this. And it's like, and I don't know about you guys. I remember my dad's like, we're going to build you a treehouse. It's like, oh, my God. And I'm just thinking of, like, this huge set with, you know, dumbwaiters and bears and all this stuff. And it's like, instead, he's just like, God bless that because he was doing his best. But it was like he just basically put, a, you know, some plywood, a two-by-four, so there was, like, a floor in a tree. And I could just sort of go out and sit on it. I was like, um, isn't there supposed to be a roof and possibly, you know, a bathroom and a, a, a telephone system or something? It's like uh, Calvin's treehouse, which is just a small box in a tree, basically. I wanted this. I wanted, like, you know, walkways and stuff. Possibly. Yeah, I, I had wanted, a... I wanted an Ewok village. Yeah. Know, my tree, basically. Oh, a, a toy which I had. <laughs> I had I had a friend who in his backyard, I, I wouldn't call it a treehouse, but it, it was it was a pre-constructed thing that had a ladder that you would climb up to, and we would just go back there and hang out there all day long. I see, I see. That's what you want. Yeah. yeah to live in a tree. Every, every kid has his fondest wish is to be a tree man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, well, uh, any, anything else you wanted to call out from this minute, Jack? Uh, no, I think that's about it. Uh, not a lot happens, but it's, it's a pretty neat looking and just, you know, the pounding and the grunting. How can you go wrong? It's quite a start to this minute. So it's been fantastic, you know, having you with us, Jack. Uh, please uh, share with us uh, more about your, your podcast uh, and all the uh, Deep Space Nine uh, goodness that you share. Yeah, well, um, I'd be honored if anyone would like to check it out. It's called Reopening the Wormhole. It's a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. And uh, I hosted along with my brother and our mutual friend. And we have a lot of guests on. Maybe maybe one day you guys could show up there. But um, we watch every episode of the show in random order, and we do long analysis. And it's just a lot of goofing around, a lot of fun. And we have wacky features like the funniest lines out of context, and the winner of the episodes, and our best technobabble moments. So, um, And then we also, at the end of every episode, we head into Quark's Bar. We give it a nonsensical rating, and then say we're watching episode five of Deep Space Nine, we will then talk about episode five of every other Star Trek TV show. So in a way, we're kind of covering everything in Star Trek. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. Please come check it out. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. And it's just reopeningthewormhole.com, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. And we, we still got about a year left to go on it. So come uh, join the fun. Very cool. Recommend everyone do so. Deep Space Nine, really interesting show, uh, as uh, Jack sort of mentioned before. A little bit of the black sheep of the uh, Star Trek universe, but had a wonderful long run and uh, some very, very, very good actors uh, pass through. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, recommend you do so. It's also one of the first uh, more serialized shows of its time, especially for Star Trek. That was very unusual. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was quite different for that because Star Trek was uh, they would have their single episodes and every now and then there would be a little bit of there was some recurring storylines that they would go back to 
particularly in the next generation, but it was never like they were all standalone for the most part. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Eric, where can people find out more about our fine show? Before we even get to that, I just want to say it's interesting that you guys called Deep Space Nine the Black Sheep because. On the one hand, it's actually the one Star Trek that I, I just could not get into. So on the one hand, I, I agree with you there. But on the other hand, as someone who was a big fan of uh, Voyager and Enterprise, I feel like those two are viewed as much more black sheepy than Deep Space Nine is. <laughs> well, you know, we could get into it, but those are my, <laughs> those are my least favorite of the Star Trek shows, actually. Ah, see, there you go. <laughs> Enterprise was definitely Enterprise. Yeah, I, I it got a lot better as it went on, but it had a tough time, and it, it, it ran into a thing where Voyager people, I don't know, people were excited when it, the show started, um, and then people their interest reemerged when Seven of Nine, and all of a sudden Seven of Nine was sort of the new normal for that show where the new hotness yeah it's like they, they and they had never done that before they always they had attractive women on the show of course um but it was the first time that they really went with the sort of the wow factor with a you know a sexy f- female uh, former and then they did the same thing with uh to to paul yeah yeah and it's like you don't have to wear regular uniforms you get to wear a special sexy uniforms <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Enterprise was definitely where... And I think the Star Trek franchise, just in general, was running out of steam. The The movies, people lost interest in the movies. It was... A, that was a UPN show, and... Yeah. Which, and UPN was sort of... Eh, never really caught on with America's imagination the way they hoped. So, yeah, I, yeah. They needed a break for a while. It was just too much at yeah, that point. Yeah, what makes Deep Space Nine again? It was just different because it was the first time where they weren't adventuring and it wasn't them on a star tr- uh, a starship. Yeah, basically they have to deal with the consequences of what happens because they can't just you know oh it's off to the next adventure and who cares what happens on this planet we just visited or whatever. It's more getting into the muck and the nuts and bolts of what makes the Federation work and all that. Eric, where can people find out about more about our show? Find out more on Facebook by chatting with us in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex, on Twitter, Flash Gordon Pod, and on email, flashgordonminute at gmail.com. Yeah, we, we love hearing from people on Facebook. Uh, we've gotten some uh, great feedback, uh, and uh, Jarf, our producer, and Eric, they're great about you know sharing eh, just some sort of fun questions and trivia, and it's always great to to get responses uh we also always ask uh, kindly if people can leave us their ratings and reviews on itunes it helps improve our visibility and uh, we can get more and more people in on the fun but eric this has been a, a another great minute but uh i have a today was a weird day and it's a day that's going to cause me i think problems in the future Ooh, a mendenhall ne- a day that will live in infamy you know as we were recording Today was we uh, was the royal wedding of uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Yes, yeah, yes, it was the wedding. Yes, and my wife, uh, she was very excited to watch it, and she uh, sat sat my daughter right on the couch next to her, and they watched the royal wedding. And my daughter just thought it was so cool, and it's like, oh, this she's gonna be a real life princess. And I can just see now my daughter thinks that's what weddings look like, and I have a feeling this is just gonna be ingrained in her brain. And twenty uh, some years from now, she's gonna be expecting this from me, Daddy. You you, you got to pay for my royal wedding. The only royal yeah. wedding I care about is Emperor Ming's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to pay for one like that either, because that's probably really <laughs> weird too. <laughs> Well, Brad, you know, as I go into my Queen Elizabeth impression here, 
in honor of my grandson Harry's wedding. I would not worry too much about your daughter worrying about becoming a princess because, yes, she is American and she married into our family, but usually we do not want Americans marrying into the British royal family. So don't worry. Flash will save every one of us. Ladies and gentlemen, Dame Edna. Attention listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at FlashGordonPod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute. Something left in this world